This past weekend, we had the pleasure of sitting with the Hansons at an event hosted by 36 Degrees North. Uh, they just talked a little bit about their experiences on the road, uh, music life, uh, and what it really means to be in this new digital age. So check it out, comment below, let us know what you think, and as always, I got five on it.
our first record, and when we would do things on the computer, we bring in basically like a hunchback. Let's get the computer guy! Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the great example would be that how this business has changed. Would be how many people have bought a record in the last, any physical reason in the last year? I was going to say, this is probably a bad group for that. <laughs> I would say, I think, how many are lying?
And so once the, you know, the shit started to be thin and the labels started to, the first, the largest record company to merge in the history of the time is Library and Universal uh, merge in 1999. So we, you know, we started off in the beginning of records, built a local fan base, got turned by everyone, got signed by the ZZ, had a breakout on our first record, which nobody ever gets, right? So we're having this is amazing. So we're, you know, we're something the label doesn't want to lose, so they don't drop us. We're kind of like, we wish you would drop us. Because we, we know we have an audience and we know we're going to be a very huge company. You're not going to know what to do with so it's Because we saw the fact that the way that the mergers were crumbling <laughs> and, and what labels were coming together was not going to be, shall we say, to our uh, advantage. It was going to be to our detriment because of who were likely to be in charge of the next record that we were going to make. What we saw was that we, we were already connected with our audience, regardless of whether we put we were connecting with them in between sessions, recording a song, writing a song, and we knew that there was a demand for shows, there was a demand for music. And so, um, for instance, if you look at a traditional record company, you don't know, every deal has owning your rights to your new RLs. So if you're an artist that's signed a label deal, they're going to have an air contract that they own the your RLs to your own. And you have to negotiate that they don't. And they're also going to get a percentage of merchandise, and they're also going to get a percentage of all kinds of IP items that wouldn't have even been on the table. And so we're like, yeah, we're doing all this stuff on our website. And they went, wow, websites, we have record stores. And so when we decided to start the label, the, the, the relationship that we saw, um, we had that very And didn't mean that that meant guaranteed hits, it meant that we could design our own success and then building that relationship with the audience and developing that. So, what made you think, I mean, it was in the early days of people kind of the, the gold rush of registering URLs. What, was it probably your idea? Was it a manager? What, I mean, who's idea was still don't have anything Really? Yeah. For concrete company. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah it chose the wrong business. No, it, it, it is interesting. Yeah. We'd probably be way more successful if we just use concrete on everything. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it's interesting because it was a time when everyone, it was sort of the Wild Wild West of URLs, people buying a thousand things thinking that someone one day might want it, you know, maybe one day Microsoft is going to be, they're not a good example, but they're like, hey, maybe we should have Microsoft.com. And some dude in a closet somewhere in a mom's basement already bought that for a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah, it was a billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the thing was we, we did have some, it was interesting, we had some, Guys who would have been like five or ten years older than us that were friends who were like, hey, hey, do you know about the internet? Like, you should, you should do this. And we kind of went, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, okay, sure. You know, help set it up. And you know, it was like our neighbor, our next door neighbor, set up our first website. Like the guy who lived on Seventeenth Street down. You know, he, he runs like a drama company in Oklahoma City now, but he's like he set up like, <laughs> Colton and said, "Why the nerds?" Now that's why 36 years old exists. That's what they're doing. They're That's right. We're all nerds in our own field. What about as, as new platforms have developed, social media, you know, Facebook, you know, Twitter, you know, some of it's like taken off, you know, was MySpace huge for you or, you know, yeah, how have you made focus and still you just every platform comes out, you say, okay, I gotta be on that platform now. Or do you choose, hey, these are the ones we're gonna invest in? Well, I I mean, part of the question really is, really comes back to marketing. And social media is really 
a great tool. No, it's all kinds of different tools out there. But every platform is not catered to you. You know, some people, I think one of the cool things about social media is that it is in different communities. You know, some people's audiences uh, are really more of a Facebook type of group. They want that kind of information, they want the whole dashboard of everything under the sun. Some people are consuming content on Instagram. You're, you know, you want a simple message, a clean image, a linear, a linear conversation, right? And so, first of all, I think it doesn't really matter what the technology is. It starts with developing you. And I think we, we, we definitely do not take advantage of every social media platform to the max that could be done by everybody out in the world. But we, we definitely, we figured out how to cultivate a relationship. We've always been content first. And that's really, that's the way we've used social media to be. We try and start with, we can't possibly be um, following every trend. You can't make a comment on every most popular hashtag. Because most popular, most popular hashtags are ones you don't want to comment on. Um, but if you go... Well, actually, amongst other things, you just literally do you're, you're just saying we. So part of it is figuring out, um, and this would go back to, again, before technology, technology is so much around really who are you? You know, and that's an artist's question. That's a creative question. That's an entrepreneur question. It's like, what is it that you make? And do you make something that is unique enough to cut through um, the audience, to cut through the, the, the noise? And then technology is just there as a tool. Well, I, I think uh, there's an important distinction because of... So we're talking about this conversation of uh, we're lucky that we, we sort of came upon the internet and were successful as a band, as a sort of global brand, before there was MySpace, or Facebook, or Twitter, or Instagram, or Periscope, or whatever the next one was, right? And so the relationship we built with our fans was, on the internet, was based on our own location, our own destination. And that still remained um, at least largely true throughout our history. So, I mean, if you go look at our social media numbers, we are not, by any means, the biggest band out there. I think, honestly, a lot of people probably look at our Facebook numbers or whatever and kind of go, but that's, that's because that's not our barometer for success, like how many followers we have on Facebook. The relationship that we're having immediately on our own location, on our own handsome.net, that's where a lot of our traffic and our hardcore fans, the people who actually buy tickets, buy products, wait in lines, they're sitting there waiting or, or returning often going, hey, what's going on? I know where to go to find out. I don't have to wait for it to show up in my feed. And so that's sort of, it's an interesting balancing act, which is not always 100% defined even within the three of us. How do you find the balance between being sort of relevant in a group of people that don't necessarily care, right, that you want to convert to being part of the core fans, people who follow and buy tickets and buy albums? How do you how much content do you put out there? How much energy do you put out there? And how much energy do you put into the people who are actually yeah. invested? Have already gotten a tattoo. I've already sort of been, okay, I'm naming my dog Taylor because I'll show you my answer. Why the dog? Yeah. <laughs> or as an example, as an example, has anybody seen the movie Ruby Sparks? Okay, that's a great movie, by the way. 
he names a dog after his favorite author, and then the girl goes, oh wow, that's some kind of serious narcissism. You want to be, you want to like control the Sure. <laughs> you think you want to control Caleb? Yeah. All right. That's why I'm naming my dog Caleb. Stop trying. Stop trying. He's in control. Good. No, you had a question. I have something to add. Okay, well, this goes along that path of, you know, here at 36, we're always talking to you. Think about your customer. What does your customer need? Build something for your customer. It's different when you're an artist. Like, you are the product. You have your own artistic integrity. How do you manage that balance of like I'm creating something that's true to myself, but also like I gotta run a business and I gotta find, you know, when you talk about breaking through the noise, what if you're not different? You should probably <laughs> consider another movie. Uh, well in all honesty, there's a lot of not different musicians out there that have their moment in the sun. So you're probably fine. Just you know, listen to country radio, every single song sounds the same. Oh, I think there's several things. If you want to get me riled up, talk about finding a new one to be riled up. Talk about, so then I have my poor 15 year old son who was thinking out loud the other day in the car because he's a music, super creative, but a bunch more uh, outward thinker. Yeah, as far as in, like, I'm sharing, I have a concern, I have a handle on the conversation. Of course, I'm like jumping on that. It's like, no, I'm just thinking out loud. Well, the, the idea that there's a secret button. Like that there's a thing you do and that it works ever is like up to death. I think people are always looking, it's like we're all gamblers like hoping to like play blackjack better than the next one. This is not that. Success is like, you know, as an artist, the best thing about training about being an artist and realizing that thing you described as an entrepreneur is you have that brutal um, you're forced to think brutally about your business because it's right. And so the thing that you the very beginning. As I think being an artist is great training because it is not fun to be told you don't work, right? What you just sang or what you just presented. It's, it's like one less step to do. What shows you is um, you have to be your, most, your harshest critic. Like, you cannot look for affirmation outside. You can't hope to follow what you think works based on something else's memory. And I think as an artist, you're forced to deal with that in a very, very personal way. And I think one of the one of the great training grounds is this, you know, staying on stages. I think one of the things that's the scariest about what's happening to the technology side is the idea of artist's brand and understanding themselves in the you can turn off comments. Right? You can't really turn off comments, except for the big but, you, know, um, you can't, when you step in front of an audience, you can't turn off hecklers. Turn off hecklers. And so, stepping in front of audiences and having that feel you know, that communication as an artist, this is one of the best forums, the best jobs, the parts of our jobs to learn when you have something, is to put yourself in that situation. And I think the part, the, the connection with any entrepreneur is the same job. It's the same thing to say, essentially, are you willing to work harder than anybody else? Are you willing to use yourself as uh, be both your worst critic and also your biggest champion, right? That's a, probably the, the, the biggest challenge is you have to be willing to say, uh, I'm gutsy enough to believe in my work, and I'm also humble enough to always be willing to be wrong. Right? Oh, the, yeah. yeah, yeah. the other element of that is find trusted friends, which is why I think was also really important, right? So how do you do that? 
in a lot of ways. I mean, that's the advantage of being a man with your brothers is you don't really have to like vet those people. Because <laughs> I will always be way more brutal than Taylor wants me to be. He will always be way more brutal than I want him to be. And so was that we're always a little bit on the edge of like dysfunction because you know that's the thing that happens when you combine family and business is that kind of rawness just comes along with it. Um, but 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 finding finding people that you do really trust that you feel do actually have your best interests at heart, but are also not sycophants, willing to tell you whatever they think you want to hear, just because they want to maintain that relationship with you. You're a little bit like, you know what, maybe you shouldn't cover that song. I think you have to frame the answer a little bit, though. Like, you're talking about, uh, so you said you're artists, so you're essentially the product, and how do you deal with this idea of kind of, Balancing what your customer wants, right. you know, if you're building software, it's like, you want that? I'll build that for so you. So, we're starting from the premise of having a customer, because we can't help you deal with the fact that you're a bad musician, or you're a bad artist. If you make ugly art that no one likes, it really doesn't matter what your customer wants. They want someone else, right? Yeah. So, assuming that you make something that's worth consuming, that people want to buy, right? At that point, you have to first understand the fact that you are the product. Right? They don't want something else. They want what you do. And chances are they want what you want to do next. So the question is, can you find a group of people that will help you broadcast that message? Like, they've already said they want you. You're the product. It's your brain that thought up the cartoon. It's your brain that thought up the song. It's your brain that thought up the movie, right? So you, you know what the next movie is you want to write. And you should keep writing the same movie until you get bored of it and want to write something else, right? But the key is, is trying to find a group of people that get who you are and get who that audience is who's already bought into you. I think what people often do is they look at the most successful person in the room and they go, hey, you, you were successful. Um, help me be more successful. And that guy goes, I think you should change your shirt color and shave your beard. And, and you go, that's great. Um, when you want to do what I'm doing, I'd love to work with you. And you walk to the next most successful person and go, hey, you know, don't, you shouldn't evolve your brand because someone tells you to. You should know your fan base, they like who you are, and you should give them what they want, which is you. How narcissism, everyone. <laughs> it's embrace narcissism. Just don't fear it, just be like, I'm awesome, and just go with that. <laughs> what about, you know, I think there's, um, when in software, I'm going to bring everyone to software because that's what we do. No, um, you know, there's the idea that you should never show the product to your friends and family because they're going to be, oh, that's nice. That's really good. <laughs> what, what did you guys do to go, like, these early shows of going and playing and playing in front of people who are going to give you the thumbs up or thumbs down? How do you know when you really have that customer base or is it just like, yeah, these are all, you know, friends of friends or people like that. Honestly, that's a really hard question because you know, I think I would think your family should tell you whether it's good. Maybe that's a disadvantage. Maybe our parents are way way more harsh. Um, but, well, so realizing, I mean, first of all, the step of realizing like okay, if you're in a situation where the people around you are uh, are not thinking of they're hearing your question as you, a family member. They're not hearing your question as a critic of your work. So the first part is, you've got to, the 
what Zach is partly saying is, you know, if you're a duck, you, you know, you have, you know, you have these after floats. You know, now you float. Now you're decide, figure out wood. Figure out what you you're a duck. You're made of wood. If you're made of wood, then you might be a witch. That's what you know. Murder! Sorry. I was talking to a really ridiculous example of. Yeah. Knowing who you are, I'm not totally bad. Never mind. Knowing who you are is the first thing. That's what he's trying to say. It's like you can't, you can't meet somebody else's success. You know, you can figure out how to be the best. So I guess the first part is in your scenario. Okay, the people around here are talking nice things because they're human beings, like family So in that case, absolutely uh, get in front of people who are judging you for your work, not because they like you. And that doesn't necessarily mean that's not your family. It just means. Identify the people that will tell you what is in your work because of your work. You know, and, and I think that if you're willing to hear that, the question is then what do you want to do with it? And whether you're willing to learn from it. I think is the. Well, I think the, the, the other thing too is like, well, so for example, like Ariana Grande, really, really successful. I'm not sure whether anything that she's doing or any advice that she might be able to give would be particularly helpful to me. Except for that she's doing really, really well at what she's doing. Right? So it's like, you can emulate her. No, I'm pretty sure I can't emulate her. Which is the example uh, I'm trying to say. No, no, but it's not helpful to ask successful people right. who don't get who you are exactly. what to do. Right. So that's the example of, of Zach's example. But the other thing, I, I would say look for empirical evidence. Undeniable reality and response. And I think, and I can't, and this is why performing live is really important as a musician, and I don't know how this applies to software. But in music, the empirical evidence is when you're at a festival, whether it be Mayfest, some random honky-tonk festival, some you know hip-hop festival, whatever it is, it does not matter. And you're standing up there, and you're doing something, and then some people stop, and they pause, for a little while, and then they leave. How long did they pause? What song was it? Why did they pause? What was it that I was doing that was valuable in that moment? Did they pause for one of my original songs? Right? Not my cover. Did they pause for the cover and stay for the original song? Did they leave halfway through the original song? No, 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 I know you got to get a flow chart. I know, but 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 it's but what I'm saying is look for the examples where it's working, and ask yourself why did that work. We we often make the joke when you're when you're playing in front of an audience that is not yours, you have to appeal to the gorilla, and what the gorilla is is four on the floor. Boom, boom, boom. Everyone's like, yeah, even white people and black people can clap on the all the beats. Like Sorry guys, watch the Dave Chappelle episode of music and how people respond to it. You will now understand what I mean. Okay, aren't music appeal to different parts of people? However, the gorilla appeals to everyone. <laughs> so it's all the beats. It's all the beats. Right, when you put all the beats together. So my point being is find the things that are working that people are responding to. If people leave halfway through the original song after the cover, that is not the right original song to put after that cover. Find the original song that's working after that cover and put it there. Because guess what? You just got six minutes of people's time, not just three and a half of them going, wow, they did, you know, Rapper's Delight really well. Or they did, you know, uh, In a Gata Vida really well, or whatever. You know, so you get a lot of minutes. 
That would be a lot of these. You're right. That is more than six minutes. I apologize. Bad example. Yeah, I, I, think too, I think just defining success is really good. You know, when you talk about success, I mean, um, you know, it's deciding what success is for you is a really big part of this whole thing. You know, we clearly have no trouble talking. Um, we'll talk on and on about thoughts and opinions, but uh, really, it's like you, you need to decide whether what you're, what you're trying to achieve. Are you trying to, because you can decide technology, right? You can take technology. Hey, if some customer wants it, you can make that. Why not actually be true, right? Because if you're talking about Steve um, Jobs, he invented stuff that people didn't know they needed, right? And so you are to decide. Is your business about appealing to a gap in the market that's already there and, and continuing to observe the marketplace? Right? Maybe you're one of the best companies at service, providing services, and that's success for you. Right? If you're an innovator, you might need a lot of capital on the front end because you're going to be the guy that risks and loses money for a long time. Right? If you're an artist, Bob Dylan won, won, won a Grammy until 1997. Right? Of course, that he didn't show up for his pieces. And they're all prize winners, so he's back. But uh, you the years of scar tissue. Part of yeah, part of what we did when we started the label is we decided that um, success was going to be uh, maintaining a really strong database that we can tour with no matter what. We being able to have a success level that we could afford ourselves the opportunity to wake up every day and create. Right. So our success was, at the end of the year, was do we have a number one record? Not everybody wants to fill the stadium for people. But when we can say, did we win this year? We knew that we were already winning if we were doing this. Right? So I think the huge part of the question goes back to like, are you, a, you know, are you an innovator? Are you a service provider? Are you a, are you a long-term artist that wants to, your vision is to create in a certain way and have a lifestyle? I want to be doing this every day. If I can do that, I can do it. Or is your job to, to, to be on Dance with the Stars, you know, or whatever, to, to be on, is, so what's the measure? So then you figure out how to get the tools and how to do So let's get into some, some nuts and bolts um, making money. So, you know, I've heard uh, that the only way to make money as a musician is to tour. You gotta just tour, you gotta do that. Is that true? Is there, well, how have you all evolved over the course of your career in like, Revenue streams from being a musician. Well, if you want to simplify things, that is absolutely the center of, of making money in this business. And it, for that matter, it, it, so that's pretty much true of everyone. That's pretty much your edge here and whatever scale, playing at the bar across the street and half Like pretty much, that's where the revenue stream is closest to the artist, and where chances are the the fan is sort of going, I'm investing the most happily. Right? They want to spend not that much on a record. They'll spend some on a t-shirt, but that has all these direct costs. But they'll spend a lot more on a concert and be happy about it. Go, oh, this is a good give and take because you gave me two hours of direct relationship. It's an interesting question too because we're kind of odd. We run, we run everything in house. We, we function here. Rebecca, who should be interviews because she's a part of our team. Real runs operations with us from label to touring. You know, we act like one body uh, that is talking, is connecting all the pieces that make our business run. You know, we have a 360 deal with ourselves. We are ripping ourselves off seriously. 
Okay. We are cutting into every piece of the pie. So we're odd in that sense. Most artists, and this is changing, uh, but most artists, part of the reason why touring is so critical is because for most artists, that's the one area where they're not um, paying a label, paying a label, or maybe they signed a publishing deal where they took part of their songwriting and they gave away or sold a percentage of the publishing, which is actually maybe looked good on the front, but it really doesn't have the time because they gave up such a large portion of their world and their songs. Um, and so the, the touring environment is I have something tangible. You, you can't download being in the same room with somebody. So there's still something very unique and tangible. And most artists, maybe they need to get something in between and close to me. But the market is just something that's, that is, uh, has so much more growth in it. And there's less people in between. Um, but for us, we, that is a huge one. Um, but the other one, which I, which if it doesn't grow, we will continue to see that on our whole floor. Um, but should is the monetizing in a, in a healthy way of the relationship, the community, it's around your heart. And we've done that in several different ways. One, we realized that, um, so a special events in my touring, we do a destination concert in So we take people on it. If you're going on vacation, why not go on vacation with us? Go on vacation with really with each other. Go hang out with your friends and share the secrets. Um, definitely need to develop the passions in front of you. But if you watch the, the uh, Hot Jam Festival, which we started five years ago, um, that's an extension of the passion that we need to But um, the, the understanding of that, that relationship with the audience is really the that's where the growth potential is. Um, and so as an artist, for sure, performance is critical. Right. You know, and knowing the data of all of it, too, I think one of the advantages that some of these, you know, you can talk about all the disadvantages of, of on, a monet, on a monetary level of the streaming services, which are significant, unfortunately. Um, but, but the advantage is potentially that you have a lot of data that you can acquire from these, from these services like, for example, knowing where your highest concentration of fans might be. And that might help you book shows. Those kinds of things, that kind of data, is really, really valuable. And that's where your website or Facebook or things like that can be valuable. Let's just go through, right? Okay. Streaming from Spotify and the like. The worst. Uh, radio. Not good. Um, you know, uh, YouTube monetization of videos. That, you know, not great. Uh, the places where you're going to see the most tangible ability to control that is in the sort of fan culture, right? The merchandising, the things people want but don't always ask for. Man, I really want the special edition version of your record where you actually tell me why you wrote that song or what you were thinking about, how the process went. Um, then things like going further with destination events. Concerts, it's really the main highest gross for you as a fan because you control that relationship. And unlike albums, a fan that really likes you, they'll probably buy one t-shirt. They're not going to buy that t-shirt three times or five times or ten times. But somebody who's a big fan might go to three shows or four shows or ten shows every year. Right? And 
so that's part of the reason why it's such a valuable commodity, because you, you really cannot resell your albums in today's world. The technology, digital technology has killed the ability to resell an album. They just re-download it. They already own the license, or it's on a free streaming service. But they can't see that show again without buying another ticket. And that's not about, that's just good business. That's not, you're giving them a service and they're wanting to pay for it. And that's, you, you want that experience. You, you want to build Star Wars type fans. People who will keep seeing bad movies for years and years and years and years <laughs> until you finally just, just destroy the brand. <laughs> It's the last movie any of us will ever want to see. Yeah. You mean the death of Star Wars? Yes, that one. Yeah. Star Wars. The Star Wars? Wait. Um, <laughs> you're in, you're in Central here. Just be yeah. careful. I know where it's going. Well, then you should know. Uh, nobody out, nobody here is going to out-nerd me. Yeah. I, I can actually <laughs> swim in a nerd swimming pool. <laughs> you know, you know, like, I mean, we, we're going to come back to this thing, how we, which is the, None of the none of the strategies really make much sense. It's great to study them, but you have to start with understanding what your objective is, right? And so you have two or three sets. Is absolutely like categorically the, the largest source of revenue for music creating community as a whole. But that doesn't mean that that's true proportionally for all artists. Some artists figure out that their relationship is driven by another form. And we'll, what part of what he's referring to is. Um, a lot of it is realizing like, there's a community that's much bigger than you. We're all fans. You know? We're fans of something. And um, it's figuring out how to find the people that should you know, So that you can give them an excuse to hang out. You know, in some cases, it's like, like a car show. You take a bunch of car fans. They're all hanging out because they all share that love. But they don't like the same car. They don't like the same car, but they share the car. Of course, like, you say, well, hey, you know, all these people are like you too. All these people are Metallica is giving all of those people an excuse to go share their love or something. Right? And that's way more sustainable than you can't, I can't say you like a direct back chapter every single person you see. You know, and then I can't like, hey, you're special. Let's hang out. We'll create a, a Taylor bot. Yeah. <laughs> you can figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. You would be the first one. <laughs> first one. Uh, I might be a, a dog. It'll be something from. Anyway, um, what about as a, as, a, as a team? I mean, you guys are a company, a band. How do you work on like dividing up duties and figuring out like, hey, you know, uh, like, I, you seem like a data guy. You know, you're really into this empirical evidence, and it's like, okay, I just in charge of all the metrics and data, and you know, somebody else in charge of marketing, and, and, and you have a, a team at the scale, and we're going to piece of that. But how, how do you all kind of navigate? You know, teamwork. Are you in every decision together, or do you start kind of working and you're spreading that out? That's a really hard balance that we're still trying to figure out, to be honest. I mean, I, you know, we, we've tried to we've, we've tried to kind of separate those roles as much as we can, but there is it, it, because the three of us are so intimately involved in so much of what's going on, it gets a little tricky because sometimes we two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. It's like, I have no opinions about that. Actually, I changed my mind. You know, like, it's a little, there's a little bit of that, like, you know, I had no opinions about that except for that one song. This is probably you know? a, a great example of that, uh, sort of being you're both your own best critic. Uh, it's, it's very hard to recognize that you're bad at something and then 
let other people say that about me, right? I might know that I'm not uh, good at following through on weekly, uh, let's say, company meetings. That's not our staff meeting. I, I'm bad at that. But if somebody says, you're bad at that, you don't need to be a part of it, it still hurts my feelings, right? You've got to be like, okay, fine, 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 fine. Um, you know, what you see probably inherently is a certain disposition. You, you immediately recognize Isaac is very data-focused and sort of a long-tail, input-type personality. Taylor is more of a motivator, kind of a positive, I want to rally the troops on a big idea, here's the marketing plan, let's all get behind it. Even the people who aren't going to do anything with this thing, I want to share it with them so they can connect it. And like, this is a viable thing we're all winning on. And I'm sitting over here just going, just give me the fortune spiel, I'll go kill that guy, I'll go break that thing. And when I come back, I'm going to assume that you did your thing, we're going to be good. And I think that's a powerful tool to have people with very distinct and different personalities. Because the value of that, general sergeant. when it works, when it works, is that we don't need the same things to feel successful. Right? Just look at the way we're dressed. Right. I'm ready to go. <laughs> if it rains, he's ready. Zach actually put on a rain jacket. And he's got something that's legal. Snuffles. Snuffles. Flashlight. <laughs> pocket knife. A hat in case of the sun. I have a leather hat that's on the floor. A few dollars just in case. I got something to put some data in. Actually, this is something where, so music parlays into business, really. Um, what, yeah. Oh, that's your role? What's <laughs> the music guy that says you're losing money? What are you doing on our team? No, um, so, so can, can you learn to say you're spending money too? <laughs> um, one of the things that you, a good producer does with a, you know, we said a lot of musicians. I don't know if anybody has had the painful but then productive experience of really working with somebody as a, in a producer role that gains your trust. You know, we talked about a phrase that came out of working with a good friend directly, uh, which is deconstruction is only good with friends. Deconstruction is only good among friends. So you, you have to become trusted or to give deconstructive advice breaking the But learning that, you know, as a musician, you learn as you go through you have drummers, you have guitar players, you have singers, you have people playing these collaborative roles that together create a sound, right? Everybody can't play the guitar right. Everybody can't play. And so that's a great lesson to learn as you try to not go into. Because, you know, sometimes the, the conflict that is naturally there, which you would like to cut out, right? You really like to be like that kind of drives me crazy. Um, you need that. Yeah. <laughs> you need that because um, you know some people. You know, some people are more motivated than others to do certain things. Some people are more interested in these aspects. But when you have like, just a, a plan, you know, we're doing this whole show, this season show, the orchestra, which is really really amazing. We spent two and a half years working on it. We do it in the PAC. Fifty pieces, fifty people playing. Everybody has a role to play. There's a conductor. Yeah, sure. There's a violin. There's a Everybody has a role, and when you play better, you create something. And that's probably that. 
is totally down in music form and totally down in music. Let's, let's talk about some of the players that uh, I'm working with. So much has changed on publishing, recording, managers. Walk us through a little bit about what you think um, you know, services. Um, well, let's first start with this, this indie trend of you know, you've got like Chance who's like, okay, I can post my own stuff and make that happen. Is that the exception, or is that a trend that's starting out where people can really be successful totally independent, or is be part of a label? And what are the pros and cons of doing that? Well, I think what you've seen is because the major labels have allowed their sort of IP to be used in such a detrimental way to their ability to make money, they're also as a rule, these are giving the big deals right. to give away their copyright. They're, they're not making much money off of uh, radio and streaming, and they historically have always paid for music videos that have been given away, right? And historically, they haven't gotten much on uh, from ticket sales, but more recently, they've said, "Oh, we have to sort of get that from the bands that we can survive, and we have to uh, get some of their merchandise because that's that's actually where people are spending money." What you're seeing, I think, as a, as a whole, is labels want you to be more successful before they want to take any risk on you. And so it is an interesting dynamic where you could reach a point of near viability as an independent artist before they really want to give you any meaningful money to promote you to be a mainstream success. And then why do you need them? And they also want to sell you services that they may or may not be using for their benefit, right? It's really hard to keep track of how much time that publicist that works for the label is working on you, or your radio team is going to Modern Rock. Are they really selling my record, or are they just hoping somebody wants to play it and then taking sort of the credit for it when it happens? Because they're working 10 records at the same time. I, I, I think one of the things, I mean, he's exactly right, uh, but to sort of crystallize it, I don't know how familiar you are with what goals traditionally are in these businesses. Uh, I'm not. Okay. Well, so traditionally you have an artist, right, who creates something. A lot. If you're a writer, you have a registry, which is your, your songwriting royalties, and you're going to get paid through additional fees through what you sell, through what you play on the air, and through there's a whole collection agencies, ASCAP and BMI, which collect through all. And since I can collect your ancillary things, like when you hear it, when you hear something played through, you know, in the Walgreens. There's a whole network uh, of collection services that are grabbing these little tiny pieces of revenue. They've been established over the years. So managers are essentially traditionally sitting there with the artists, getting a little piece of everything an artist might have part of. And the traditional role was sort of like everybody else is going to screw you. So let's figure out how to get as much out of the other guys that we're going to that we know we're going to screw. Is the label is going to get is going to try and control our, our brand and give us as bad a deal as possible. And the radio guys are going to get what we want for free, so they're going to try and Everybody's going to try and So our culture is we're going to screw that first. Right? right? And so our, that, really that means it's getting really as big. large of advances as possible. Yeah. So publishing, whether it's for a record deal. Yeah. It, it's not simple, but it's really not. It's, it's, funny. it's kind of funny to say it, but I mean, just what I mean is traditionally when there was more clear sources like there's TV, radio, physical copies, there's concerts, a manager would get in there to protect the artist on a defensive posture. Like, quick, everybody's going to come at us. And so, but there was this idea that you had this necessary relationship with people that were inherently lied to you 
not pay you, you know, and so you took whatever you could get on the front. And the difference with happened technology is, it's almost like everybody's, you know, the curtain dropped down and you can see potentially where the dollars are going out. Who was buying it? And now you couldn't protect. You couldn't have that set that goal. But most artists have still bought into because it's been told by the powers that be that they still need this culture of defensive posture, take what you can while you can, and um, everything's out there. And in a way, they, that may still be true, but the paradigm shift is that content creators actually have the power, right? right? You actually have the thing, right? You can find an audience for almost nothing, right? You can create something to post on YouTube for version free. So those are you can make your record for the cost of your laptop. Yeah, and so the, the paradigm shift, the, the challenge, and the biggest, like the, I would say the event of our is artists, it's like, the, it's like the AI that suddenly realizes they're an AI and they don't want to be. Artists are like robots that haven't realized that they, like, we want to be real boys, right? We want to, Pinocchio's like, I want to be a real boy. We're, we're still like, no, we're, Geppetto's got strings. So we are in a position where we could say, actually, we don't need those, those other forms. It doesn't mean you don't doesn't mean you don't to work with publicists to help you crystallize your message because you don't need to get your So what what services are or what's worth paying for versus like ah screw it, I'm gonna do it myself? Um well I mean I think I think the a, a role the right manager is somebody that is in it with you and risking and risks and wins and loses when you want to lose. And so I think finding that is really something to think about. Because it's not about, it's about somebody that's actually, um, if, if you don't go make money on tour, you shouldn't make money on your they're, they're actually there to help you build that path. Um, and the other thing is really, okay, because they shouldn't get the money on the, on the gross end, they shouldn't, or at least, if they are getting the commission on the gross, it shouldn't be until after us. So that, yeah. it's gotta be on that. The other thing is that it seems like it goes contrary to what I said, but it's really true. That is actually helping you to become as empowered as possible with understanding what you have and what, and essentially where, um, where you can take that, and, and essentially understand where the traps are. So that you can figure out and say, okay, if I'm going to believe in this, or I'm going to have to stay awake, get up early, you know, be the guy that believes in that, you know, that big dream, uh, I need to understand how to monetize it. Don't sign that's really traditional, don't sign anything for the kid. But music attorneys play much more almost traditionally they play almost a business like if you use a business manager type of in many cases for artists because so many of these deals, these art, artists aren't coming in with a structure. They may have a little absent. But so you know, the the attorneys are often kind of cutting these deals, building these kind of relationships. And so you want to have that person obviously as well. They also tend to be Finders. A lot of cases where I find a good music attorney can help you find a good publisher or can help you find a good manager and then that might lead to the next people in the process. So um, I, I, in this day and age, when you look at the fact that it's cheaper than ever to make your record if you do it in the right way and you're getting less from the labels, uh, I think the, the most important sort of paid services that we find are the people that market your records. 
the people that actually go out there and find outlets to promote your albums. It's not, it's not the, the manager who has traditionally been, I'll get your money, or I'll help you cut a deal with, it's who people say, I'll, I'll help you get your record uh, in front of Rolling Stone or a feature on NPR or a Washington Post, you know, whatever that is. Those are the most important things. People that help you to deal with the metrics of the internet go, uh, I know you don't want to play the every single view thing, but here's how we make the most of the views you want to get. So, now that you guys have been doing this for 26 years, okay, I'm asking you to be a little vulnerable here. But what, what's something from a business standpoint that you would do differently? You look back and you're like, ah, that was fine, I was put down that work. That was terrible, I would never do that again. What, what would you do? We would make Pokemon uh, custom tickets out of the Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. so, I was attempting to joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you found some sort of void where the people were either too old to know what Tamaguchi wore or too young. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I think there was a, a key moment, I think that was uh, during their second record, where uh, because we are fiercely independent as a ideology, right? It's that Oklahoma, Kansas farmer that just like, all right, just go out and till the soil, till it works. Um, uh, there was a particular moment where you guys do some tilling. We didn't realize uh, we had really vested management when we started out, but we didn't realize that they weren't reading the room the way they should have. And so uh, I think of the moment when the president of our label at that time uh, was Leo Cohen, and he said, I want you to do this TV show. And it was with an artist that I'll not name, but it was something we very specifically did not want association with. It's like completely the wrong kind of music, completely hammers in a kind of a, as a band that particularly when I was about 12, was trying to say, look, listen to the music. It's not important that I'm 12. It's important that I wrote a song about life and loss, right? Uh, this was the wrong kind of thing. And we didn't realize the president had gone out and made the deal with Jarvis and put our name on the line and said, this is going to happen. And we said, no, we don't want to do that. It was one of those moments where you probably should have swallowed it and said, oh, crap. This is the wrong choice, but he's invested so much personally in making the deal as the president of the label you're attached to, you're contractually obligated to the material record. You should do that concert anyway. Our, our, uh, our, I think that's why it's also that if we would have gone one step further as our independent minded controlling actually had that conversation personally. Or had a more experienced manager who had read the room and said, oh my gosh, they already made the deal. They're going to get egg on their face if we tell them no. We wouldn't have been able to navigate that in a much better way. And that second record um, suffered directly from that loss of face. It almost immediately was like, yep, sorry. Oh shit, that's what just happened. Yeah, exactly. Then, you know, fast forward probably, what, four to six weeks later, it had conversations about doing solo records and things like that. We're like, wait, what? What do you want us to do? 
that. And of course, being the classic, fiercely independent guys that we were, we're like, you know what? You can go take that idea and shove it up here. Yeah. <laughs> hey. yeah. That was very vulnerable. Uh, tears. No tears yet. So we're going to either tears or yelling before this is over. Um, so what would you say to fledging, fledgling musicians who's out there in the crowd now and say, okay, I'm just waiting for my, my big break, you know, break it through. What advice would you give them from a business standpoint thinking about what can they be doing now to set themselves up for success? I have, I have, a, I have, a, yeah. I have a, very, a couple of very specific things that I think would be wise to do um, because what we talked about up here so far has a lot to do with, you know, there's a lot of theory involved in that and, and it's fine, but I think that the, the most, I think you have to ask yourself, why are you doing this? You do have to start with why, and there's a book called that by Simon Sinek and I recommend you read it. The other book I recommend you read is Friction. Passion Brands in the Age of Disruption. It was a really good book. It was written by, uh, again, his last name on it is Jeff Rosenblum, I think. Um, the book is really pretty. Really Jeff Rosenblum. Exactly. It's really, it's a very beautiful book, and, he, and, and it's actually well laid out in explaining what I think is at the core of what Kay, Zach, and I have been saying so far, which is developing an understanding of that kind of, of the, the artist and or brand relationship with your fans and or your consumers, which is that, that look, first and foremost, you have to say to yourself, I am not playing for the critics. I am playing for the fans. Who are my fans? What is it that they like about me? How can I do that as loud and as often as possible? What does that look like? i.e. I'm playing the show and they stop. What does that mean? What is it about that song or that moment that's valuable? Chase that. You know, finding those pieces of information that are gonna help you to guide. And unfortunately, if you're not getting some of that feedback, the unfortunate reality may be this is not the job for you. But if you are getting some of it, if you're seeing, you know, it's possible that you might be the greatest singer in the world but a horrible songwriter. It is absolutely 100% possible that that is just the curse you have. Or you might be the greatest guitar player since Jimi Hendrix, but you have a horrible band, and you don't have the right songs that can support that skill set. So, you, so it's about finding the data points that are allowing you to, to un, and, and when I say data points, I don't mean anything like that. I'm not meaning it in the technical sense. I'm, what I mean is, ultimately, you have to find the things that are working and chase those things that are working and make and being critical of yourself to find those things. Yeah, we're, we're, we're talking about pleasure uh, arts, which is sort of the most awkward stage. It's sort of like the ugly duckling. Like, how do you tell an ugly duckling to be green? Well, don't get the makeup on. It's like, no, the ducklings just kind of, kind of become swamped. But, but to whatever extent that is, I mean, our, our method of becoming a swan was to do everything. Like, literally sing everywhere. Anyone you meet, tell them you're a singer and offer to sing to them. We literally, when we were starting out, 
in Tulsa and who in Pizza Hut eating dinner. Someone was like, oh, you're a fan. I'm not joking at all. We would go, yes, you want to hear something? And we would sing. And that kind of attitude... That came out of, a lot of these questions. <laughs> I'm not saying that that will work for everyone, but this, our method was to do, to sing everywhere, to become known for being a singer, to become known for somebody who will do it. A national, you need a national anthem? We'll sing the national anthem. You need somebody to sing a hymn at your funeral? Yeah, we got it. You need somebody to... And I don't mean be goofy, but I mean literally... You cannot be bashful, and you cannot be kind of particular. One of the worst things in the world is people who have not done anything who are worried about destroying their precious time. Like, oh, this is my art. It's like, grow up, go make some more art, do it again. Because the way you're going to become good is by doing it a million times. I mean, it's just not, it's not precious. Art is not precious. It's, it's sort of about the emotion and the experience. And so, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Another, just very simple part, just specifically, is something that's way in the The first thing is, uh, don't catch yourself for anything. And I mean, I really don't think any well, great thing about having an artist is what you were talking about. Um, transition to this versus entrepreneurs. It's such a great training ground for the least people. It's so much. But the principle is the same. The great people that do help you admire and inspire artists, entrepreneurs, creative people, and sort of, they, they did do it. Right? And that doesn't necessarily mean that you think you could be here, but it could, it could be York, it could be LA, it could be wherever you are. Wherever you You create a preparedness, right? To be ready uh, for what's going to happen. And, and you keep learning and iterating. But ultimately, is realizing that uh, you are the greatest asset you're ever going to find. You're the transformation to, to go out there and get it. So, pizza. I don't think I've been home a single birthday since my eighth birthday. On my eighth birthday, there was a music conference in, in Tulsa. Dad, at the time, was, you know, he's still a Our dad, period. At the time, you weren't going to take a seven-year-old to a music conference. He's like, I'll just go watch this thing, see if it's worth And uh, he met somebody, he said, yeah, if your kids are in a good company, I'll come sing. So my birthday party was in like two hours. We came, he sang for the guy. He said, fine, go write me a song. We stayed, went away. 30 minutes later, came back, wrote him a song. Actually, what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. 81st and... Uh, it wasn't a great song, but we wrote a song. We said, huh, most people wouldn't do that. Let's meet again in two weeks in California. And that, that's the example of, like, just do it. It was awkward. It was not a great song. But what was impressive, I think, to the guy we met, it's not important who that guy was, but is that we went, yeah, we'll do it. Give me a challenge. I'll do it. What is it? Give me a topic. And sometimes you miss your favorite. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you gotta do it. Yeah. Well, uh, I was trying what to find. I was trying to find. That's great. That was good. That's good. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about you missing your birthday and apparently every birthday since then. October is, is a terrible time for Americans as well as October. Yeah. Like, we will be this year. 
Sorry about that. But, so, well, uh, thank you guys for spending the evening with us, sharing uh, lessons learned. Uh, it's been really, um, as someone who gave up guitar when he was 15 and realized I had no rhythm, um, it, it's been really interesting for us to just learn and know everyone here. So, um, thank you and give it up for me. This is Ando with Tulsa Lines, and you're listening to Tulsa Lines, I Got Five on it. Stay tuned for your next episode and for other great content and merch and giveaways and chances to win. Please head over to TulsaLines.com. Thank you.